day after election day. You made it. As a special treat for getting through it, and because at the time of recording at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night, we don't know the results yet, I'm giving you the full uncut interview I did with the hilarious and clever comedian Rekha Shankar. There will always be time to talk about what happened during this year's election, but for now, take it easy and hear us chat about our favorite quarantine watches, creative careers, rejection, and more. I'm here with comedian, actress, and writer Rekha Shankar. You've seen her in Between Two Ferns, the movie, acting alongside Zach Galifianakis on College Humor and a ton of sketch videos, and in places like Clickhold, Onion, and The New Yorker, to name a few writing credits. Hey, Rekha, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I mean, I think that the, the answer we're all supposed to give is good, considering... Uh, yeah, considering a spotlit br- police brutality crisis and a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so with all of those things, we're going good. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so how's, how's uh, lockdown going for you? It's been okay. Um, yeah, just doing, like, you know, making up tasks for myself to do writing-wise and, like, cooking a lot, trying to, you know, create some, I'm, I'm, I thrive off routines. So trying to like really create little mini routines every day is definitely helpful. Yeah. Like what kind of routines are you thinking? Even just like the smallest thing, like, okay, first thing you do in the morning is whatever dishes are left over in the sink while listening to, you know, a local news podcast. Okay, great. Perfect. That's my two-step routine. (laughs) Do you find yourself like giving yourself things to do like I know sometimes I'll leave my dishes overnight just so I can wake up in the morning and do them and feel like the sense of fulfillment for doing a task there's like a little bit of that like in the sense of like oh okay this was like a little easy task that I didn't get to today I'll now I'll have a little easy task tomorrow kind of thing um yeah I mean definitely a bad feeling is when it's like daylight hours and you've done everything you can think of it's like 5 p.m. and you're like, wow, there's absolutely nothing left on my list that I could possibly do. <laughs> I have, I do not know that feeling. That sounds incredible. Well, it's very done. rare, but like, or like, it's just like, there's nothing I feel like doing more so. <laughs> oh, that, that's real. I do know that feeling. Yeah, I'm, I, it's funny because I think since the beginning of lockdown, like since like March, you know, I know writers have been complaining about like, oh, it's like impossible to write right now. I don't know what to do. I didn't really have that problem. I don't know if that was the same with you. I was just like, great, I have tons of time now. I'm just going to get all these stupid ideas out. And then, of course, like reading them back, it feels a little bit maybe superficial, kind of like writing stuff from like a before time and like trying to finish it. Yes, I I definitely had a lot of um, creative energy in the first like two, three months where like I finished a pilot I was working on. I wrote a spec script. I uh you know brainstormed a bunch of other ideas but then that did sort of like run its course a bit and now I am having to like figure out okay what 
is there something new I can work on? No, it doesn't. I don't feel like I have a, an idea I'm really into. Is there something old I can revise? Like, again, making up tasks. But I felt pretty good about making up writing tasks for like three months. But now as we edge into month five, <laughs> definitely a little harder. Yeah, it's kind of like, I didn't really run into the problem of like, oh, nothing really feels like it matters. I think I kind of always felt that way about my writing. So it didn't uh -huh. really, like that didn't really strike me. I wasn't like ever playing with like high stakes in my work, but now I'm just kind of frustrated because like you said, I've kind of run out of ideas in some ways yeah. or energy at least to, to well, do stuff. I think too, so much of what for at least comedy writing comes from is like commentary or like lived experiences and when your lived experiences is in the same apartment every day for five months you have nothing to comment on or to speak about like even just going on a social distance walk with a friend will jog something because it's a, a simply another universe of stories and ideas and opinions do you think we're gonna face like a huge glut of like COVID lockdown content coming out of this? I'm like really not looking forward to that. I I don't know. I think what we'll first see is just like the stuff people can afford to make, which will probably be a glut in itself in that it will not be satisfying or good or diverse. <laughs> um, like the stuff that studios and stuff are willing to spend the very little money they do have very little in huge air quotes on um and then i think we'll see like covid creative pieces like things about covid which like i don't i'm not particularly interested in watching um so yeah i do think there will be a glut i, I wonder if it will be because people didn't have ideas or because the only ideas that are being produced are the same like garbagey cheap ones that you know we've been trying to get away from a group of friends is on a Zoom chat and something yeah. comes to light. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's really funny because I think BBC really jumped on like the whole lockdown culture really quickly. And they filmed like a ton of shorts. Obviously, yeah. BBC is like a little bit, it's way different from the American standard of like creation because they're just yeah. like, constantly making low budget things and like they have an audience for it. But like they had like the whole like kind of like almost like a short film festival of just like sort of zoom yeah like shorts and stuff and it was i never watched it but i was just so turned off by the idea i was like why would i revel in this <laughs> i know i know and that's why i'm like i bet you like acquisitions and stuff of like syndicated materials from like the 90s and stuff is going to go up uh because people are like well we can't make new content maybe we can buy old content oh yeah for definitely. people to, to keep subscribing to netflix keep subscribing to hulu or whatever well i mean like moesha's on Netflix. i know so i wonder if that was like part of a move they were already going to do because netflix has had a huge absence of like black nostalgia they do a lot of like gilmore girls the reboot full house the reboot arrested friends, development the yeah. reboot mm -hmm. friends forever you know kind of thing and there's like where you couldn't find like fresh prince martin you couldn't find so many of these other like really popular black sitcoms from the same era anywhere so i think it's great i wonder if it's in coincidence with the pandemic or if they were already planning on doing that yeah i don't i mean i think they were definitely getting pressure from people because they're like how come all of these channels exist and no one has loving single yeah you know so like you know hbo max has fresh prince yeah 
Living Single. Netflix has Moesha. Yeah. Still missing like Martin and like there's a few other shows, obviously. Totally. But I feel like it's only, like, I don't think anyone has girlfriends, for example. Yeah. It's a matter of time, though. I think that they're all going to kind of come out and then. I think what we're going to even see is people who actually never experienced those shows mm-hmm. because they're living in like a white bubble will get into them. It'll be awful and interesting at the same time. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Awful and interesting is a good way to describe everything. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've been experiencing this, but like I'm not really seeking out quarantine related media, but things that have a quarantine vibe are really hitting right now. Like the other day I watched Vivarium, which is like mm-hmm. a movie with like um, Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like within a confined space. They can't really leave this one house or this one. Yeah. Neighborhood. And like that hit. I was just like, this is not, this was like made like last year. Um, and it still felt like it felt relevant, I think, because it wasn't trying to be of this time. Yeah. I watched um, Last Man on Earth. The um... love that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't. I honestly didn't even know. Uh, I knew what it was about, but I didn't know how uh, sort of relevant it would feel watching it in quarantine. Because I, I was like, oh yeah, it's about like a guy who is the last man on Earth until he discovers Christian Shaw's character. And I was like, oh whoa, <laughs> heavy. <laughs> and there's like a plague that takes everybody out as yes. well. Yeah. Did yeah. you get the virus? Did you get the virus? Like. Right. Yeah. It's it's also funny because like at the beginning of quarantine, everybody was talking about Ling Ma's book Severance. I don't know yes. if you read it, but yeah. I started it and wasn't super, I, so I started before quarantine actually, because I had just heard about it and I wasn't getting super into it. And then once quarantine hit, I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I mean, people are really like, they're imagining we're going to get a lot more contagion movies coming out after this. Yeah. Like, obviously, like, I don't know if you follow like horror movies or horror trends, but like, um like throughout you know film history horror movies have followed like headlines basically like and so like um like the crime rise in the 80s led to a lot of like home invasion movies and movies oh I didn't realize that yeah and like um I'm trying to think also like 9-11 also led to a lot of home invasion movies right like that and like there's like there's much more interesting connections that you can follow for sure and yeah. like the fact that like we're, we're kind of in an era of like social thrillers so you know we've been in an era of social thrillers since the 70s but yeah yeah I think it's we're definitely gonna see like a treatment of this stuff and I'm sure we'll all be exhausted by the time it comes out yeah totally well what else are you watching yeah so just this morning I finished uh the last dance the Chicago Bulls Oh, oh yeah, that's uh, that's um, save the last dance. Save the last dance. This is the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls ten uh, right. part documentary. It's really good. I don't fall. I I love documentaries. I don't follow sports mm. super hard. Um, but obviously, like that era of the Chicago Bulls from like whatever eighty six to ninety seven is pretty historic and so this was a really it's a really good documentary and it's 10 parts and I'm someone who loves tv more than movies so that is exactly how I like to ingest a movie in 10 parts um so I watched that I'm a gigantic Top Chef fan so I have rewatched I think every all 16 seasons four times um in quarantine <laughs> um what else have I been watching? These are so eclectic. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> what a great watch list. <laughs> um, and then, 
Yeah, like my friend recommended this show called This Way Up that I really loved. That's oh, like yeah. A, yeah, it's, it's kind on, of Irish. Yeah. Irish, yeah. It's Sharon Hogan and I feel so bad. I don't remember the lead actress. Like the main, the, literally the main I character. Know, <laughs> yeah. I know, uh, but it's very funny. It's on Hulu. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been watching. A lot of re-watching, really. Yeah, I've definitely been getting into kind of a comfort watch with just a lot of things. Like yes. we're rewatching Futurama. At the beginning right. of quarantine, we were rewatching King of the Hill. Oh yeah, uh, which are King of the Hill is a lot funnier than I remember. Um, it's kind of nice to like rediscover these things and to like still be able to enjoy them. And it totally holds up. It's been like 20, 30 years, and it's still yeah. really good. It's, yeah. it's like I find it kind of also inspiring for like writing work because it's like. I think we're in such an era of like creating content for a moment or for a window of time and like you know we're also kind of experiencing it when we go back and we watch shows like friends that are extremely transphobic and racist and like you know there's a lot of exclusion involved like in the dna of those shows and we don't really like we enjoy it but don't enjoy it at the same time and we're more critical of it so it's it's really rare i think to find a show that actually like holds up and still is having a lot of the same discussions that we are today yes yes I think uh, I was talking about this because I'm a really big Frasier fan and Frasier is from that era of like 90s three camera sitcoms and it's mostly, I'm not even gonna say mostly, it's all white. Mm -hmm. I can recall one black character who appears more than once. Um, and uh, uh, it, I like, I don't know, <laughs> I know a lot of uh, people of color who love Frasier and I do think there's this weird phenomenon of like a show like friends is exclusionary by nature because they're all like cool and you're supposed to want to be them so their exclusion feels bad but a show like king of the hill I'm like i don't want to be hank hill um he's sort of just like kind of a uh, like a, a, a big character in himself all his friends are big characters in themselves and i don't want to be them i kind of laugh at and with them and I think shows like Frasier fall into that camp for me too. Where I'm like, I don't want to be Frasier, but I can like laugh at and with him as opposed to the friends where I'm not really laughing with them because they're kind of all assholes and they're all like hot, white, rich people. <laughs> right. They're all super codependent and yeah. like, they have a kind of friendship that you don't really see anymore in a digital age. So it's yeah. like very weird. Yeah. So shifting gears a bit, I wanted to say that like looking at your site, you're so prolific. You know, you're all, you're in Clickle, Onion, New Yorker, College Humor. You were a guest writer on the Astronomy Club. I feel like you're everywhere. Oh, thank, I mean, hey, I I try my hardest to hustle. <laughs> Cause like before I moved to LA, I didn't have a full-time job uh, in comedy at all, which because those don't exist. Uh, so I had to go from like gig to gig a lot and apply to a lot of stuff and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I definitely have a lot of random credits. <laughs> no, it's great. It's it's really fun also to like be reading something and then realize that you worked on it or you were something. <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. It's also like it's like very I don't want to say like it's like sneaky Indian stuff, you know? It's like just like when brown people just like pop up, it's great. It is. And I do think sneaky Indian is a good way of putting it because that does happen like I will, you know, follow, like, there, there's just certain things, like, I'll, like, look up a recipe on the New York Times cooking website, I'm like, ah, that's, I can't say, is her name Tejal, or? Uh, Thajal, Thajal, Thajal Rao. Thajal Rao, I'm like, oh, it's Thajal Rao, okay, great, it's funny, it's very rare that I can look at an Indian name and not be able to pronounce it, and her name has always thrown me off, because I'm like, I don't, I know someone named 
casual, but I don't, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, so like, yeah, sneaky Indian's a good way of putting it. <laughs> what's, um, I want to know sort of how you got into comedy, like what's your earliest memory ingesting comedy or like, you know, that kind of revelation? Yeah, so growing up, like I'm like half raised by my grandparents and like a lot of Indian immigrants will uh, sort of get, <laughs> will watch a lot of sitcoms basically, uh, or maybe that's just my family, I don't know. But uh, so yeah, I would go to their apartment like every weekend and watch I Love Lucy and The Cosby Show. Um, <laughs> and I love just lots of old, old sitcoms. So I, and uh, so I grew up watching a ton of Nick at Night, a ton of TV Land, uh, which were all like funny sitcoms. And then when I moved to like uh, the Philly area, I met a friend on the first day of school who was super funny. And I had never thought of like being funny. I didn't even do homework. I was such a bad student. I think because I was the second child and my brother is a very, very good student naturally and doesn't have to study super hard. Um, it uh, Maybe they were, because I never, I don't know if uh, all Indian families are like this um, or if you can even say that all Indian families are like anything. But like my family was never like mad when I got a bad grade. They're just like, oh. <laughs> like you know so like okay I, got, I think that's like second child privilege like, yeah I think it is I think it is that's why I brought up my older brother because I'm like I think they're like we got a really good one and then whatever <laughs> this one is is whatever she is <laughs> that, was, that was definitely not my experience <laughs> are you the first child yes oldest both yeah. sides also a girl yes. lots of you know lots to unpack with that there's one, lots to unpack yeah my brother is like firstborn boy all sorts of things um, and we're like five years apart also. Mm -hmm. So there's like maybe also an expectation for me to be significantly dumber than him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just got like terrible grades and stuff. And so I don't really know, not that a nine-year-old can be on a track, but I don't know what my interests were. I think like drawing and watching TV maybe. But then when I met this girl who became my best friend at the time, I was like, wow, being funny is such a cool quality. I've never met someone as funny as this girl. She was the funniest person I've ever seen in real life. And we just hung out all the time and we were funny with each other and would make each other laugh so, so much. The type of like friendship you talk on the phone for hours and hours and hours, you could sleep over every night. The only kind of friendship you can have when you're like dumb and nine and like whatever. But it was such a transformative friendship. And we did like kind of have a falling out sadly by the end of middle school. But she's the one that was like, made me want to be funny as a personality trait. And then kind of as I got into high school, I couldn't, you know, take that itch away. I was like, oh, I want to do this as a career. And I started watching a fuck ton of Seinfeld. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah, that's okay, fine. Cool. Okay. I watched <laughs> a ton of Seinfeld. I watched some like Arrested Development. I was just, uh, it was just intoxicating. Like, for my 15th birthday, the only thing I asked for were the Seinfeld DVDs. I would just sit and watch them glued. I never grew up watching movies. I didn't really like movies. I still don't watch movies unless they're documentaries, really. Um, and or mockumentaries at yours. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but like TV, I could, I would rather watch eight hours of TV than four movies, you know? Um, well, I think I think most people probably would. I think I'm, watching a movie back to back is really hard. <laughs> I would not, I'm like, I would, 
it just like even now in quarantine I know my friends are like oh I watch a movie every day I'm like that sounds like a nightmare that sounds exhausting I would have to force myself to do that whereas if you were like Reka watch three seasons of Top Chef today I would do it (laughs) (laughs) um but uh, uh yeah so I started getting really into comedy and then like um you know being on the internet which was just like like we had the internet growing up but it wasn't like a place to be on for hours at a time until I was in high school, at least for mm. me. But I could like look up the behind the scenes of Seinfeld. I could look up who the creator was. I could look up everything about Larry David. I could look up, oh, wow, I could watch an interview. Cool. Oh, my God. Like not just the behind the scenes that come on my DVDs. I have this whole world I could experience. And, and then I remember on my 17th birthday, I asked for a little notebook to write ideas in because I read that Larry David had one and my friend got me one for my birthday and I was too scared to write in it because it was a nice notebook it was a moleskine I was like wait this is really nice I can't write in this but then when I kind of just like let loose and was like you're supposed to write in it it doesn't matter if it looks nice uh yeah it just like started me trying to make it a discipline to like really write down my ideas because I was always goofing around with my friends filming stuff but I didn't know it was like an actual job and not no less a job I could have. Like I didn't think I could perform. No one in my high school thought I was funny at all. Um, like auditioning for plays, like the theater department was so white. It like didn't even, like I applied or applied. Wow. Auditioned, <laughs> I think once and I, for a midsummer night's dream and I got the part of a fairy, but my best friend did not get a part. So I was like, I'm out. <laughs> you quit in protest. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, and and I also just didn't think I would do a good job. Um, and then when I got to college, I was like going to be pre-med and all that. I went to biomedical research camp when I was like 15, like very much going to be pre-med. But in two months into college, I was like, no, I have to change something. This is miserable. So I applied to the film school at NYU to just be able to like get skills to make my own stuff. And while I was, and I got in and while I was there, um, I did a lot of comedy writing and I got rejected from, you know, the sketch comedy group, the improv group, all four years of college. So I had to keep just like kind of making crap on my own. Then when I graduated, no one hires you to do that kind of stuff. So I was a video editor. And that just made me want to get into comedy more. And so I started taking improv and it kind of all just snowballed from there of like, what can I do that I can control to be part of this industry? Yeah, I think so. It's so interesting to hear that because I feel like we ran parallel in a few different things. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like a compulsion. Like, even if you get rejected, the fact that you keep coming back isn't really a decision. It's more like, I have to do this. I'm going to do it. And you don't really think about like, yeah, every rejection is kind of a bummer, but like, it doesn't really stop you in the long run. Yes, which I'm so thankful for, because I know rejections can hit people really differently. This is the thing one of my best friends said to me, when I was 17, I applied, my my high school was really, it was a public school, but it was really competitive and fucking obnoxious. And so everybody knew each other's business, like where people were going to school. And all of my friends were like the Ivy Leaguers in the school and or the ivy adjacents like really like williams college wellesley all that stuff and um it was very common to apply for to you know between 
five to 12 colleges, you know, in my school. So I applied to like 10, I think. And uh, I got deferred or waitlisted or rejected from eight, including my number one, which was Northwestern. Um, and that crushed me. Getting the Northwestern one really crushed me. I think I got it the day after my birthday. <laughs> oh man, they had no shame about that. Absolutely, you should look. If it, this should be a thing that comes up, a security alert if it's their birthday today. You have all my info. <laughs> um, but I was, I was like inconsolable. I was crying all the time. I was like, you know, a flattened version of myself. Um, I felt like I was stupid. And certainly compared to my friends, I was stupid. And uh, that, you know, I did all this work for nothing and, and nobody wanted me the way I wanted them. And I felt like, I felt like shit. <laughs> and I remember my best friend was like, this is a stupid consolation prize, Reka, but our friends who got in early action to whatever, Princeton, Harvard, whatever, uh, aren't gonna know what rejection feels like and you are from a young age and you're gonna be able to deal with it better. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. That's kind of like true in a really bougie way, you know, like like we both still went to college and like yes. that was definitely part exactly. of it. Exactly, exactly. That's why I'm like, looking back, I'm like, Breka, come on, you still got a great education. But at right. the time you're, especially in my high school, so competitive, it made you think if you didn't get into Ivy Leagues, you were stupid. Right. So like, mm -hmm. yeah. It is I really was such bougie. an overachiever too. Yeah. It was like it. I was also. I did not go to my top schools. I didn't yeah. even go to like my, my the school that I thought I'd get into. Yeah, I ended up going to like my safety school. Of course, I'm the asshole. My safety school was a really good school. Yeah, I did. Um, and I ended up going there because it was like also the cheapest school I got into. And you know, like at the time, I was like my first year of college. It was awful. I just sort yes. of felt like the gnawing sense of defeat and also like inferiority and yes. like I wasn't competing against anybody that was just it's like all in my own head like yeah no one was keeping tabs on it no one was like oh Nadia's stupid because she's living UCLA like no one would ever say that yes you know that but was the same with me with NYU like NYU is a wonderful school it's way too expensive but that was my quote unquote match school what a fucking dick like thing honestly, to talk about right? but, but, but also there were people I, it's so funny to think about this because I'm like, what athletic scholarship would this guy have gotten? But there was like a jock that I think got like an athletic scholarship. And maybe like notoriously doesn't have sports. So I don't even know what sport <laughs> that would have been. And he sat next to me in homeroom. His last name was like, like you know, SH something. And um, we were going to the same school. Mm. And I was like, this guy, which is so rude. He, he was perfectly nice. And also like college is what, you make of it. And that's such a fucking like, oh, I can say that I went to fucking NYU. But like, if you, the people went to, uh, like the safety school at my school is Penn State, which is a really awesome school. And it happens to be a state school that gave people a lot of scholarships. And there have been plenty, some of my favorite teachers at in high school went to Penn State. And like, so many, you can do so much. It's all what you make of it. I really, yeah, I really wonder where like this drive comes from because it feels extremely I don't want to say superficial. It is superficial, but it also feels like artificial. You know, yeah. like it feels like somebody decided this and then we all just like, like subscribe to it. And it's, it's not even true. Like I have met, I've worked with Ivy Leaguers and we've been like 
at the same level you know absolutely we've been like in the same job role like it's not like I've worked with people who didn't go to college and like you're funny as fuck you don't like right I think especially in the arts right yeah it's kind of it's a really silly thing but I think that's maybe like coming from the backgrounds that we come from it feels like you need these kind of like symbols of success symbols of achievement more than you need like what it's going to give you if that makes sense like yeah absolutely because you know it's probably not a uh, a huge overgeneralization to say an Indian parent would love if you went to Harvard uh, for medicine. But what if I told you, okay, well, Harvard Medical Program, this is not true, was dog shit. It was actually the worst in the country. I think they would still be like, yeah, you should go to Harvard. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like bar nothing else. Yeah. It's just like, just do it to have it. Yeah. yeah. I had a writing teacher who has this really great sort of like thing that he always repeats to people, which is, every rejection is God's protection. And Mm -hmm. like, I really, I mean, I really enjoy that because I think like, it's a good thing to remind yourself. And then also like, it keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. (laughs) No, rejection is definitely a skill. Dealing with rejection is definitely a skill to build up. Cause there are some people like to my friend's credit, I see people now who, in my opinion, do not know how to handle rejection. Well, they're like, oh, I applied to like five things and it didn't get accepted. I'm like, five things? I apply like I eat breakfast. I, it's like, it's just like what I do in the morning. Oh, I'll shoot off a job. And maybe that's bad of me. Maybe I should put more care and time into those things. But I am now so seasoned with, uh, with rejection. I'm almost looking for higher level rejection now. Like, cool, I've been rejected from a lot of, like, publications and da-da-da. Okay, SNL, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have saved my rejection letter from The New Yorker, and I'm like, yeah. some asshole at The New Yorker had to read my work, and that's an achievement in itself. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Like, like I did get rejected from SNL last year, and I'm like, you know what? I never was able to, if, I, if you told me, you know, when I was 20, trans, transferring into the uh, film program at NYU that... Um, I'm going to get to apply to SNL in nine years. I'd be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted, so speaking about sending off applications, yeah. I want to say that we were all really super bummed to hear about college humor. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Is there questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's kind of like, I mean, I wanted to say I really appreciated the kind of what you posted about on Twitter about unemployment and stuff and making light of it because while you were going through that, a lot of us were going through that. Like, you know, just the way that the pandemic economy has has crumbled, it's kind of like, it's such a, I don't, I mean, I don't know. How, I don't know how to talk about it. I just appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, God. So we, for, for, for people who uh, aren't college humor buffs, which is a lot of people, um, college humor laid people off in the beginning of January. Um, so that was before the pandemic had reached America in full force. I think maybe there were like five to 10 cases in the United States in January or something, something like where nobody knew, well, people knew. Nobody revealed the information that this could uh, really spread that bad. And um, so we were going on, we were like, okay, we're unemployed. And for me, I am always a hit the ground running kind of motherfucker. So like, I, I was at the college humor office making my contact list of like, 
emailing like 50 people. Hey, I just got laid off uh, today. Um, uh, would you, I would love to chat if you're available kind of shit, which is like annoying and whatever. It's not that everybody responded, but like I wasted no time. <laughs> and like, I do thank my New York like freelance life for that because like, even when I was just a video editor, which is like a more hard skill than writing and like arguably, I would say easier for me to get jobs in. Um, I still had to keep hustling and keeping my contacts like fresh, like, hey, just letting you know, I had um, a month open up for, for work. If you, if you need anything, I'm available. Doing that stuff, it was like bringing back that old skill. And I do like really appreciate having had to do that at a younger age to then be able to do it when I really needed it. Cause I, I've never, I don't have any family in LA. I moved here, I knew two people uh, vaguely from UCB, but we weren't even friends in New York. And I knew no one at college here. And uh, so I didn't have contacts here. <laughs> My contacts became college humor. And then when we got laid off, I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Who have I met in the last two and a half years here? Um, and so when the pandemic hit, it was just like, wow, nobody has work. This fucking sucks. This is like suffocating. And it's like, how do you keep yourself and your friends afloat? And like, thankfully, College Humor is throwing us like little freelance gigs here and there, which is really nice uh, because yeah, it's really hard. I would imagine it's really hard even for somebody who's been staffed like a bunch to get work right now, um, let alone like people like me. Uh, so yeah, tons of um, sympathy and empathy to people out there looking for work. It's, it's, it fucking sucks right now. Yeah, I was also really curious what you think all of this will mean for the digital comedy scene. Like, obviously with TikTok, there's sort of a supply and demand for short form comedy, but it also feels like apps like TikTok and social media more generally have kind of yeah. been in the way of comedians doing their thing online in a lot of cases. I mean, I think it's great that people are doing stuff on TikTok because like, you know, to scorn TikTok and be like, no, it's we're doing the same thing, like crusty, older white comedians have done for Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Like you don't have to get it, but you do have to accept that it's there. And also like, don't, if you don't like it, that's one thing. If you're purposely avoiding it, so you don't seem lame, there's <laughs> life is too short. I downloaded TikTok uh, because of that. Cause I was like, well, let me see what's on here, right? This is a new platform for creativity. There's stuff that a TikTok can accomplish that I can't in an Instagram post, that I can't in a sketch. The same way, like, sometimes you write a sketch, you're like, this sketch is a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not a sketch. Or you write, like, uh, a freaking tweet, and you're like, this is a sketch, whatever. Sometimes something is a TikTok. What a cool new outlet. It wasn't entirely for me, and then I heard about the data stuff and immediately deleted my account. Um, but, like, I'm, I think it will suck the thing I don't like is the over glorification of like influencer style comedians. Cause I don't think that that comedy is sustainable. I think it overworks the person a lot. It requires them to be like shiny and perfect every day and to kind of force quantity over quality. Uh, I personally don't laugh at that kind of stuff either. So that's just not my taste. Um, and also, I think I think all those people are really young, 
and are going to burn out and maybe be scorned by this industry in a way that's really unfair after their peak of success. And that feels scummy and bad. It feels like we're taking advantage of like 21 year olds that are cute and cute and bubbly. Um, and that feels bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely think that TikTok is mostly manned and operated by very young very attractive people a lot of white people yes and i think sort of similar to vine like it does make room for people of color to some extent that totally. a lot of other platforms don't exactly which is really cool um and i mean like black culture is behind so many like memes and things you see spread on twitter if you like look at the origin of that joke, that picture, that phrase. Mm -hmm. It's probably a very funny black comedian or not a comedian, just like a teen. <laughs> like, so it, it is cool that there gets to be like a name, a face, an account attached to that in a way. Cause I do see a lot of like TikTok videos shared on Instagram, which is cool. Like, oh, this is transferring across platforms or on Twitter, it's cool. So I definitely want people to get their day in the sun with that. I do just like sometimes uh, yeah, I get concerned because like just knowing what I know from being on an internet, you know, comedy website, everything is so fickle. Everything is so fleeting. Even we would have like a video that would get, you know, it'd be topical. So maybe it would get uh, 900,000 views or something in a couple of days, which is great. And then nobody ever watches it again because it's no longer relevant. And then if I'm thinking if that was my job every day, absolutely not. <laughs> that would drive me crazy. I feel like you just don't get to develop a point of view and you don't get to be yourself. You're just doing what people would like to see from you because you did do something you liked and then people liked to see that from you. But then the moment you do something different, they're like, we hate this. <laughs> and I feel like if I was 20, not that I had the option to be successful when I was 20, but if I was 20 and I was like some hot shit, you know, influencer, I feel like that would fuck me up. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. It was so great talking to you today, Reka. Yeah. We, we covered so much stuff. This was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope it was interesting. <laughs> no, no, it was it was great. Where can um where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so um I'm on Twitter at Reka L Shunker. Um uh, at rekashunker.com is my website. Um let's see. Yeah, Instagram, Reka R E K H A underscore S. And then yeah, I'm in the Between Two Ferns movie. Uh, I guess wrote for Astronomy Club. Um, so like everywhere, they can just <laughs> yeah, check me out wherever. Just Google me. I think I've got some good SEO going on with my name. Just gotta spell it right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then just yeah, watch videos and tell me if you want to hire me for something. <laughs> I'll take it. This was so good. Thanks for making time for us today. Oh yeah, thank you for having me. Cardamom Pod is made by Kajal Magazine in partnership with Erios Network. Aziz Adib is our producer with help from Jivika Verma. Our music is by Tasneem from their EP, Just Before the World Ends. Until next time, keep an eye out for evil eyes.
Erios. Powered by ACAST.